Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, an unconventional podcast for the unconventional music lover, brought to you by Music on the Move Studios, a woman-led company working to help musicians move their careers forward through education and live events. I'm your host, Katie Thompson, and I want to say thank you to everyone who's been tuning in through the month of May, where we've been celebrating mothers and music, and we've been talking a lot about mental health awareness, and I just thought it would be very apropos to bring on a mental health specialist for this final episode in May and, you know, talk a little bit more about mental health. Because as creatives, we have tendencies to get stuck in our feelings. And sometimes it's really hard to get out of those feelings. It's hard to get ourselves kind of back to the surface and to come up for air, especially if you're writing, right? Because a lot of creatives, they, they will testify to the fact that they write some of their best material when they are in turmoil. Well, that's cathartic and sometimes it can be healthy, but then not getting out of those feelings, that's not healthy, right? Breaking that cycle can be very hard. So I thought it was just a really good idea to bring on a professional. Uh, so with me today is Rebecca Lassane. She is a therapist and mental health expert and she has a lot of really good tools for you and even at the end of the episode stay tuned because we actually are going to do a five minute meditation and I really enjoyed it I thought it was it was really just rejuvenating for me so I hope you enjoy that Um, but I do want to put just a slight disclaimer on this episode for anybody who is in turmoil right now or if you are struggling please, please reach out to somebody. There will be links in the show notes. If you are struggling with your mental health, sometimes the the best thing you can do is just try to take the first step, right? So we are going to talk about some pretty deep things, and I just want to put kind of a trigger warning out there for some people. You know, if this if this episode starts to maybe get a little too heavy for you, then please consider reaching out and, you know, you can reach out to Rebecca. Her contact information will be there for you. Um, So just please understand that this was, this is all done in the sake of being positive and, you know, just shedding more light on mental health and talking about mental health because it's important and we all need to be there to support each other. So again, don't be afraid to reach out if you need the help. So, With that being said, this is a really, really interesting episode. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I thought there was just a lot of wonderful insight that Rebecca had. So without any further ado, here is Rebecca Lassane. Rebecca, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great, Katie. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure to have you on the show, and I'm really glad to bring you on because as a musician, I know how important mental health is, especially just in my everyday practices. And I don't think en- enough musicians are are really comfortable with talking about their mental health. Mm, yeah, totally. So I, I'm just I'm very grateful to have you here. And, and we will make sure to have all of your links in the show notes and any resources that you want to give us. Um, so... Today, I hope everybody's ready. We're going to dive into some feelings, and it's <laughs> going to be great. Um, but Rebecca, why don't you why don't you tell us just a little bit about your background, and then we'll kind of dive in. Okay, that sounds good. Well, um, I am an LCSW, um, so that is a licensed clinical social worker. 
Um, I've lived in Nashville for about two and a half years now. I moved here right before the pandemic happened. (laughs) Um, And um, I actually have a pretty extensive background in visual arts. Um, So I went to um, a performing arts high school, middle school, and then I have a BFA for my undergrad. Kind of did that for a little while before I decided to move it in the direction of mental health and social work. And, um, but art is still a very important part of my life. Um, I still do a lot of painting. It's something that helps me with my mental health and I'm surrounded by musicians. My partner's a musician. And so I see that side of the world as well and very familiar with some of the struggles that it can come with. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) One of the topics that we wanted to talk about first is imposter syndrome. Yes. So can you define that for us? Because I don't know that everybody really knows what that means. Mm -hmm. So imposter syndrome, first of all, is very common. Um, Essentially, it's a feeling that you are not good enough or it tends to, it's hard to define specifically, but it tends to um, affect people in a way that they feel like they are an imposter and will be found out. Um, so I think one of the important things to um, to recognize with imposter syndrome is that it disproportionately affects people who prioritize achievement, are already high achieving. And so the achievement itself feels like they don't deserve it or, you know, it's not authentic or something like that. I think that that a lot of people have it and, and some of the most successful people have it. And so when I hear somebody tell me that they're experiencing imposter syndrome, I tend to remind them that they're in really good company (laughs) with, with that experience. Well, it's always good to know that you're not alone. Yes, exactly. Um, You know, I, my background is in classical music and the classical music world really like there's a lot of pressure, right? And so when you do start to achieve certain things, it's very easy to be like, Yeah, I might have gotten that, but, you know, it's Mm -hmm. very easy to kind of come down on yourself and think, well, that was cool, but it's not quite enough. Or Mm -hmm. did I really deserve that? Right. You know, because we were taught it doesn't matter what you achieve. You always need to be achieving the next best thing. Right. Exactly. So one of the things that I think comes with imposter syndrome itself is that um, it is based in a set of thoughts and feelings about yourself and thoughts are not facts. <laughs> I love so, that. <laughs> yeah. So when we're telling ourselves these things that we're a fraud or that we're not good enough or, you know, that the thing that we just achieved is not enough, that's not coming from a place of reality. That's coming from like implicit messages that we may have received or that we may be telling ourselves. Um, And so I think that's a really good place to start is like, there's no like realistic evidence base (laughs) that could support whether or not you're an imposter or fraud or any of the things that come along with feeling that way. What are some of the techniques or maybe, you know, ways that you help people cope with imposter syndrome? Mm. 
Well, I think first is um, just recognizing what the thoughts themselves are um, and kind of, this might sound kind of strange, but thinking about why the thoughts are there, most of our thoughts, even when they're harming us, are trying to be helpful for us. Um, So if we've been um, conditioned a certain way in our past, it's kind of like the way that we know how to encourage ourselves or motivate ourselves. Um, I sometimes think about like our inner critic. And if you um, imagine like what that character of your inner critic would look like, um, it's a way to kind of like separate your thought from yourself. You know what I mean? So I sometimes think of like um, a mean, burly, like high school football coach that's like, move your lazy ass or something. Sorry, I hope I can say that. You can say whatever you want. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, So it's like, could be effective. And at the same time, it's like causing us to like bring on these messages about ourselves. Right. And there are more effective and more compassionate ways to do that. Um, So first is starting with actually like identifying the thoughts, identifying the feelings, and then kind of breaking down. And so after we look at like what the thoughts are and what they're trying to do for us, then we can kind of break down and look at evidence to support them or, you know, to show that they're not real. Um, and most of the time what we find is not real. Right. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of, like with, with imposter syndrome, like you mentioned, well, it's not enough or like, it's not in like, I need to be more successful. Well, what does that mean? You know, like these kind of abstract ideas of I need more or I'm not successful enough, but what would it be to be successful enough? Because most likely where you are now is what you would hope for yourself years ago. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I have so many conversations with younger musicians and, Mm -hmm. and their parents, actually. I was, I was on a panel not too long ago and one of the questions was, you know, how do you know when you're successful enough? Mm-hmm. And right. I think that is that's a very big piece for a lot of musicians because sometimes we have these massive lofty goals of well, it, success is being a celebrity and having that million dollar record deal, you know. Yeah. Personally, success for me means am I paying my bills? <laughs> am mm-hmm. do is there food in my refrigerator? Can I pay my car payment? And if I'm doing all of these things and maybe even still have a little bit of money left over in the bank. I feel like I'm making it because I've been able to look at other people who haven't been able to really make a career out of being a musician. They still have to have a nine to five to support themselves. Right. So, you know, that's just my level of where I find, you know, success. Now I'm doing that. It's not easy. (laughs) And, you know, I, I want to see this business grow. So there's, you know, I'm already thinking to that next level of success. But I think it is also important when you're trying to identify why you're having those thoughts. Like, it's also important to look back and see what you've achieved, right? Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I think that part of what you're touching on, too, is being able to be satisfied with where you are now while also looking at the future, that it doesn't have to be one or the other. 
I think a lot of times we're just so like we have blinders on about what's next and what are all the things I want. So, you know, even if you got that multi-million dollar record deal, who's to say that the person who's in that position is really happier, more satisfied with their life than the person who has been able to make the career and just have a little bit of money left over in the bank because they're still thinking about what's next. So when we're only thinking about that and we're not taking the time to acknowledge what we've done and where we are right now, you know, that, and that goes into what we'll talk about later with mindfulness, you know? So I think it's um, a good example of doesn't have to be either, or it's not like we're just here and we're like complacent with where we are Mm -hmm. and we're not just thinking about the future. We can kind of balance both at the same time. Absolutely. I think that's hard especially as Americans, because our culture is that of always looking for the next best thing. Productivity culture. Yeah. Uh And and conditioning. Absolutely. Yep. So I think it's very hard for uh, musicians and artists, but primarily it's hard for Americans in general Mm -hmm. because we're fed constantly these images of, you know, these people in these billion dollar homes and these amazing cars. And it's like, oh, well, if I haven't achieved that, then am I not successful? Right. So I think it's really hard to combat that when you've got all of these cultural images that are flooding your feet every day. Definitely. You know, yeah. that's that's very interesting. Mm hmm. So one of the things that goes along with imposter syndrome and recognizing the, like the thoughts and the feelings um, and specifically feelings is that feelings tell us what are, what things are important to us. And um, someone who she's not a therapist, but I reference her a lot is Glennon Doyle. Mm -hmm. And she's had a podcast talking about anxiety specifically And I just think it's so beautiful the way she phrased it. Um, She said, anxiety is just love holding its breath. And I think it's a really beautiful and eloquent way of saying that we worry about what we care about. And so if um, we're experiencing imposter syndrome, we're worried about like being a fraud, which I would argue is um, the opposite of being authentic. And so we care about being authentic and creating something that feels true and honest. Um, And so that's a way to start kind of like breaking down those thoughts and those feelings and to really like examine what we're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you referenced Glennon Doyle. I actually (laughs) just started listening to her podcast. Yeah, it's great, right? um, She, so the episode that I just recently listened to, she had Brene Brown on and they were talking about Atlas of the Heart. Yeah, I'm reading it right now. Are you? So I like I started to watch the series and I'm like, man, I need to go buy this book. (laughs) So we can talk more about that later. But yeah, um, the book is beautiful. It's, you know, pictures and just beautiful out like layout. And yeah, I definitely recommend it. Cool. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. (laughs) Now I have a professional opinion. Now I have to go get it. Um. Uh, I think I had another question and I lost it. Um, as, as far as like when it comes to, to artists with imposter syndrome, do you feel that, do you feel that 
if they like if they find themselves in in therapy and mm-hmm. they're able to work for through it like have you physically yourself have you seen a musician go through therapy and kind of overcome imposter syndrome and then all of a sudden like things start happening in their career have you ever seen a a correlation when we start believing in ourselves a little bit more then we put ourselves out there more mm-hmm. you know um if i like keep telling myself that i'm not good enough or nobody's going to like me then i'm not going to put myself in a situation where i have to risk like reinforcing that true thought. Whereas, um, you know, if I start to work through that, then I might put myself out there more and then, you know, I see a reward from that. Um, I think one of the things that I would say is that with thoughts, they don't necessarily go away. I think the, um, the amount that we let them affect us can change. So like, if I have an automatic thought like that, it's not that it's, it's not that I'm never going to have it again once I've worked through that. It's that I don't like latch on to that thought and let it kind of make my choices for me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you don't like, let it consume you. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like recognizing that it's just a thought. It's not a truth. And then it kind of comes up and I'm like, oh, there's that thought again. And so now I'm going to go do this other thing. Right. So, yeah, I think that's an important piece to to recognize because I don't want it to seem as if like you have to overcome this thing. It's not that it's just going to like it's cured and it's never going to come back. It's like we can kind of like start to move forward, even though sometimes those feelings come up. Sure. And maybe you just kind of retrain yourself to, mm-hmm. you know, to react a different way when those thoughts come up. Yeah, exactly. Okay. For sure. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, would you say that a lot of a lot of that can be done through self-talk maybe? It can, yeah. Um, I saw this meme once and it was something along the lines of people think that going to therapy is paying somebody to care about you, but it's actually paying somebody to teach you to care for yourself. Oh. Isn't that great? That is awesome. So, you know, I think that as you do that work, um, you, you start to like get used to, and like, no, like I have clients now that I've been working with for years and like, they'll catch themselves saying something about themselves or they'll even say it and be like, I know what you're going to say to me. (laughs) And so like, you know, or even like, oh, I practiced saying this thing to myself over the last week and I thought, or I heard your voice or, you know, something like that, where it's like the more you practice it, the more you're able to do it for yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's so interesting because as as musicians and artists, we have to practice our craft anyway. Exactly. So practicing. More thing to practice. Like, yeah. I mean, but it's, and it seems like it's so simple, but it is, it is very hard sometimes to to practice those positive behaviors Mm -hmm. because we've been so trained to just think in those negative thoughts yes yeah and they say like how many is it 21 days to break a habit yeah that sounds right yeah I think it's it, it takes 21 days to break a habit so I know one of the things that I've done and I've you know another friend of mine we're both of us are in therapy right now Mm -hmm. and so we we kind of share a little bit about what each other goes through Uh and 
Um, so she and I have been talking a lot about, you know, positive self-talk. And and I, I told her, I said, you know, for a while I actually had post-it notes all over my computer screen, you know, of like, breathe, you've mm-hmm. got this, and it really is okay. You know, just like these little things and, you know, it, even small stuff like, you know, you are as intelligent as you think you are. Yeah. You know, because yeah. let's just be honest about this. Social media has a way of making all of us feel really dumb sometimes. Oh, my gosh. We could spend an entire session just talking about social media. Can we just talk about the anxiety I have because of social media? Ugh. Right. Aaron and Aaron and I absolutely hate TikTok and we just bitch about it all the time. So I don't really use TikTok, but I just heard something yesterday, which is that um, people are now using TikTok to diagnose themselves, which it used to be Google was the thing. Like people would go on WebMD and like find themselves in a little spiral and then they would come into the doctor's office and like Dr. Google told me this. Well, now it's Dr. TikTok, so. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of TikTok either. No, no. Um, I did want to say one thing about the breaking the habits thing, Mm -hmm. and um, that is that I like to think of replacing habits rather than breaking habits. Okay. Um, And that's because, like, okay, so if you think about um, smoking cessation, which is, like, when somebody decides they want to quit smoking, if you just tell somebody to stop smoking and anytime they have a craving, just don't smoke, then like, that's not going to be really helpful for them (laughs) because then they have a craving and all they're thinking of is I can't smoke a cigarette. Um, so that kind of goes back to the fact that like our thoughts are going to come up, even the harmful ones. And so letting them be there, but then figuring out a way to like, put something else there instead. Um, so like anytime I have a craving for cigarette smoking, like I'm going to go, I don't know, play the piano or (laughs) until the craving passes. And, um, I think that most habits are like that. Self-talk is like that. So like when the negative self-talk comes up again, like I'm noticing that that thought has come up, I'm giving myself the compassion to see like this thought is, you know, how I've known how to help myself in the past. And now I know that there are some maybe more compassionate ways to talk to myself. And so here's what I can say to myself instead that might be more fruitful. That's really interesting. It's really interesting, you know, because so many times like the smoking thing, for example, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, you can quit cold turkey and that'll be it. But how many people do you know that have actually quit cold turkey and it'd be successful? Not a lot. I cannot think of one person. Mm-mm. And I know a lot of smokers. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's really interesting. Um, so, you know, when it comes to, you know, replacing those behaviors instead of trying to break them, are there, like, do you have any suggestions for, for people right now, like, that you use with maybe your clients when it comes to replacing a habit? It it really varies from person to person. Um, so it's a matter of kind of like brainstorming. What are some things that would help with that? Um, so for instance, like this is maybe an extreme example, but we are talking about mental health. 
Just a really quick, quick trigger warning for you, friends. This is going to get a little deep, so if it's a little uncomfortable for you and you need to move past it, we totally understand. Just wanted to give you the opportunity to skip ahead if you needed it. Um, And so let's use the example of self-harm. And maybe we need a trigger warning for that. Um, Sure. But there's different forms of self-harm, and then there are different things that people get from it. And um, so like if I'm experiencing a really, really intense emotion and I just need to get myself through that emotion, then self-harm is something that I have known how to, you know, get me through that until the emotion subsides. Problem is that then it leaves me with, you know, some scars or whatever else may have happened. Um, And so there are lots of different types of replacements that we can kind of think about what do you need in that moment? And so some people need to be soothed. Some people need to be distracted. Um, some people need to, um, you know, just be engaged in some other way. Um, and so it really is something that, you know, it might be worth either talking to your therapist about if you have one, um, if you don't, I always encourage everyone to <laughs> find a therapist. Yeah. Um, Or just really thinking about like, what are the things that you need in the moment that you're having the craving to do whatever the habit is? Because there's, I mean, this is a pretty broad topic. So sure. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, and, and two, I just want to put a reminder out there for everybody that there will be links in the show notes and, you know, and I think it would be good if, if there's a recommendation you have, we can link maybe a mental health service for people to reach out to if they are having feelings of, of self-harm or anything like that. So, um, so that will definitely be in the show notes. And I know that's a very, very deep subject, but thank you for, you know, for still being open to talk about it because not a lot of people are. And, and it's just, I think it's important that we just be as open and accepting of everybody where they're at and giving them as many resources as possible. So thank you. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, so, you know, we, we've also touched a little bit about mindfulness. So I'd like to really dive a little bit more into that in your processes with working with mindfulness. Yes. So mindfulness is kind of a buzzword. Um, and I don't know that everyone always knows fully exactly what it is. Um, So the most succinct definition that I've heard of what mindfulness is, is it's paying attention in the present moment and without judgment. So a lot of times when we think of mindfulness, we think of meditating and clearing our mind. um, And that is honestly not the most realistic (laughs) Um, expectation. I have run plenty of mindfulness groups and a lot of times when we sit down and we get quiet, then everything that's going on in our minds just kind of gets louder. Right. Um, And so that can be kind of upsetting. Um, So in terms of mindfulness tools, there's lots and lots of different kinds. It doesn't have to mean sitting down and meditating for an hour in silence. Um, sometimes it could mean paying attention to your breath for a little while, just doing some deep breathing. Um, and there's lots of different types of breathing, um, techniques. Sometimes it means kind of like 
getting quiet and paying attention to what our thoughts and our feelings are and just letting ourselves notice um, and allow those experiences to be there. Sometimes it's more of a grounding. Um, I'm kind of like, you know, paying attention to all of my senses, what I see, smell, hear, stuff like that. Um, there's guided imagery meditations, um, you know, all different things like that. But mindfulness is not just those exercises. It's also kind of a way of being. Um, so like, if you think about what the opposite is, if you've ever gotten in the car to drive home from work, and your mind is racing of all the things that happened that day, or, you know, a thing that you're telling yourself that you said that was so stupid, or, you know, whatever, or somebody that said something to you that just really pissed you off. And then you get home, and you don't remember the drive at all. Yep. So that's kind of the opposite of mindfulness. Um, so mindfulness is really just a state of being present in that moment, allowing whatever experiences you're sitting with, whether it's anger, discomfort, that's all mindfulness. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's bad if we're thinking about the past or if we're thinking about the future, we have to do those things to get through the world. Right. Um, but it's like not letting ourselves get stuck in one or the other and always coming back to the present. Gotcha. I think especially, you know, for for this time of year, you know, things are ramping back up for musicians. There's lots of shows and, you know, everybody's kind of in this in this push to get ready for all of this crazy, you know, busy work that we're that we're mm-hmm. about to embark on. And it's really I've struggled. I, I'll just be super upfront. The last couple mm-hmm. of weeks I have struggled to be super present. Case in point. I missed our initial interview that we were supposed yeah. to have, you know, <laughs> thing, my, my mind literally had just shut down. Um, and I, you know, one of the ways that I am working towards being more mindful is, um, is breath work. Mm-hmm. Uh, my therapist and I have talked a lot about that and allowing myself to sit quietly without judgment is very difficult. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult because I am one of those people where like I lay down at night and I can't fall asleep because my mind is just like, oh, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this, you know? And, and so I feel as though I'm kind of like in a hamster wheel, you know? Yeah, Yeah. totally. (laughs) Well, and when it comes to judgment, even though mindfulness is practicing non-judgment, When we find ourselves judging, which is inevitable because we're humans and it's how we make sense of the world, then we start judging the fact that we're judging. (laughs) And then then we just like keep going in a circle. We're like, what's wrong with me? I'm judging again. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas like, all right, when do we like stop that cycle and say like, okay, I'm just noticing this. Here's my judgment going on again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's, By the way, true. I do that all the time. And I think if anything, I'm probably harder on myself because I'm like, I should know better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I think with um with trying to with trying to grow this business with, you know, Aaron and music on the move, we're we're constantly trying to evaluate and constantly trying to go, okay, this didn't work, but maybe we could try this. Or right. this failed, but maybe this won't. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we judge ourselves when it does fail. Yeah. You know, and 
and but it's funny because we can look at each other. I just had her on my phone here just I don't know 10 minutes before we started this interview and we were just trying to kind of like boost each other up, but I know the second that we both got off the phone, we both just went, "Damn, I really screwed this up," you know? <laughs> like just internally going, "I could have done better." Mm. And not we're both just not at the point right now just because things have been nuts. It's hard for us to just go, wait a minute, everything is okay. You know, this is just a season and it's going to change. It's not always going to be this hard. Yeah, exactly. It's tough. Running a business is tough. It is. (laughs) I know. I'm, I'm in it with you. (laughs) Um, so when, when you're in session with somebody and you're, you know, trying to focus on, on mindfulness, I have a question there. Do you use journaling as maybe like a a coping mechanism or like a tool for, for mindfulness? Or do you feel that that's more of just like a really good way to organize thoughts and kind of purge? Um, Again, I think that's a both and not an either or, and it also depends on the person. Um, So I'm really big on identifying like personal motivations and personal strengths. So I'm not going to like tell every single person I meet with you, you should go journal if I know that they're not going to do it, that's not going to be helpful for them. (laughs) Um, And, you know, like I have clients who will come in time after time and, you know, they say that they want to journal, but then they don't do it. So it's like, okay, this is not working for you. Let's figure something else out. Sure. Um, and then I have clients who love journaling. Um, and so, you know, at the end of every session, I might give them a journaling prompt. Um, so I think that it can be beneficial in whatever shape or form it takes. Um, one thing I love about any kind of art or creative expression, whether it's music, um, writing, art, um, dance, you know, is, um, it's really a way to channel what we're experiencing internally and put it out. So it has like this cathartic effect for the person who's creating. And sometimes it also comes with the byproduct of, you know, something beautiful and enjoyable that other people might (laughs) want to experience also, or can relate to, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I know, as a songwriter, it's it for me. It's absolutely cathartic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I write absolute shit, and that's okay. <laughs> Nobody has to see that. Yeah, you know. Um, I know that you said that you have experience with art. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite form of art to practice? So it's really varied through the years. Um, when I was in high school, I was um, very big on drawing. Um, I did a lot of sewing and fashion related stuff in college. Um, I also got into metal work um, late college and then after college. um, And I really loved doing that, but it's been a long time. I've dabbled in ceramics, um, but most recently I've, I mostly have been doing painting. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And is that kind of your cathartic release? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Anything I can do with my hands, um, so I do mostly abstract. This is, if you can see behind me, one of my yeah. pieces, um, it's beautiful. Thank you. Um, I've been getting a little bit more into every once in a while, I'll do portraits or, um, things like that. But 
the thing that feels most pure that I feel like can just kind of like flow out of me is just like abstract oil paintings. Um, and you know, then also, you know, we've been doing some construction on the house and even just doing that, it's not like the same creative thing, but like, you know, building something and creating something still has that same kind of effect sometimes. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a, I think, yeah, gym teacher from high school, she and her partner, they did metal work on the side. Oh, cool. And it was mainly sculpture work. Um, and some of it was like, you know, cute little lawn ornaments and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, the 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 bigger pieces were very abstract and mm-hmm. highly creative. I, I do not have that kind of brain. And and I am I am in awe of people who know how to draw or paint. So <laughs> so I I really um I'm really really very envious of of your ability to do that because I can't at all. I feel the same way about musicians. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So I know that we we also discussed maybe doing a a meditation here on on the episode. Yes. And I would love to do that. So um, for those of us that have maybe never, never done a meditation, I can tell you this, like it's, it is best when you, when you try to come at it from a very open mind and um, like I, I used to do guided meditations with uh, drum circle facilitation. Have, have you ever done that before, by the way? No. <gasps> Okay, we're gonna have to have a conversation about okay. drum circle facilitation. It's it's a really great addition to to therapy, um, but you know, in in using like instruments to help you create that guided meditation. Holy crap, it's awesome! Like, oh, you, it sounds you incredible. Get, you get transported. It's really cool. So um, I used to work at the VA, and I did a mindfulness group and also a yoga group mm-hmm. um, with the veterans. And they also had somebody who came in who was a music therapist and would facilitate things like those drum circles. And they loved it. My clients that that did that. So it sounds really incredible. It's so much fun. And it's a really great way to get involved in the meditation rather than to, to, mm-hmm. you know, to sit there and just listen to somebody speak. Um, when we did them, I was working with the Central Ohio Symphony and we had a program that was dedicated to using um, Remo Health Rhythms as the, like, the protocol. Mm-hmm. And so... All everybody that participated in the circle had an instrument, and at one point or another, you would be asked to play certain rhythms that would like that you would essentially just kind of come to you as you were going through the meditation with a facilitator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really amazing experience, especially when you have a facilitator that's really experienced and really knows mm-hmm. what they're doing. It's yeah. it's it's yeah. kind of life changing. Well, I think, I mean, it goes in with healing and community. So like when we're co-regulated with other people, we are much more able to heal quickly. We're like healing each other basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And also like creating those rhythms, like, you know, when we've experienced trauma or, um, you know, when we're experiencing depression, anxiety, stuff like that, our rhythms get kind of out of whack. And so, like, recreating those rhythms for ourselves and for other people can be really healing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Oh, all right. So take me on a meditation, my friend. Let's okay. do this. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the one that I want to do first. Yes. Um, it's not typically the one that I would lead people in for a first meditation, but I think it's really um, applicable to what we've talked about. Um, so this meditation is called a meta meditation or a loving kindness meditation. Okay. And um, as we go through it, um, I'm going to be kind of giving you prompts to say back to yourself in your mind. Um, and what I would say is just remember some of the stuff we talked about with judgment. So like as different things, thoughts, feelings, whatever come up, just let yourself notice that it's there and then try to notice without judgment. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So First, I would just invite you to find any comfortable position if you need to move or shift a little bit to get comfortable and supported. Just find your stance. And then if you'd like, you can close your eyes or some people like to just find a soft gaze down towards the floor. So just sort of eliminating any distraction from your line of vision. And then can begin to just notice your breathing. So you might notice how shallow or deep it is. There's a texture or a rhythm to your breath. Just noticing that. And then if you think it might be helpful, you can begin to extend your breathing. So breathing a little bit more deeply as you inhale and then slowly releasing it as you exhale. So I'm going to now invite you to bring to mind anyone who brings you feelings of deep love and compassion. So that could be a person, a family member, any loved one, or even a pet. And just hold the image of that person in your mind's eye and feel what it feels like to give and receive love. And continuing to hold the image of that person in your mind, please send the following message to them. May you be safe. May you be peaceful. May you be loved. May you be free of suffering. And next, see if you can bring to mind somebody that you feel somewhat neutral about, maybe an acquaintance or a coworker, somebody you see on an occasional basis. And holding the image of that person in your mind and continuing to harbor, harbor those feelings of love and compassion, send them those same messages. May you be safe. May you be peaceful. May you be loved. And may you be free of suffering. And sit with that for a moment. And if you feel like you've lost some of those initial feelings that you had with the first person, you can bring that first person back to your mind. Bring those feelings back into your body. 
This time, see if you can bring an image of yourself to your mind. This one can be harder for some people. And so if it feels hard to send those same feelings of love and compassion to yourself, you can try to imagine yourself as a young child. So again, those same messages, sending them to yourself. This time, may I be safe. May I be peaceful. May I be loved. And may I be free of suffering. Once again, if you feel like you've lost or diminished any of those initial feelings of love and compassion, you can continue to bring the memory of that first person back in. The last one we're going to do is for the world. So see if you can imagine the entire world, all of the people, all of the creatures, and holding the image of our earth in your mind. May we be safe. May we be peaceful. May we be loved. May we be free of suffering. Now I'll just invite you to sit with those feelings for a little while. Notice if anything has come up. Notice if any judgments have come up. Let yourself come back to your breath. And slowly and gently, just a little bit at a time, and start bringing your awareness back to the room and slowly and gradually just reorienting yourself to the space around you. Welcome back. That was lovely. Thank you. Thank you for doing that with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, That was really nice. (laughs) I actually haven't done that meditation in a while. I used to do them all the time and I just felt like it was time to bring it back. Absolutely. (laughs) No, I, I loved it. Um, I really loved how you, you took it out to like the entire world, because I think at this point, I think the entire world needs a lot of love and acceptance right now. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) So there are a lot of different versions of that. Some people may not resonate with the exact messages. So you can kind of like alter them as you need, or you can, there's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of versions of that out there. You can kind of um, dig around and see if there's one that stands out to you more. Um, And there's also different lengths of that. So more traditionally, after we did the one um, where you feel neutral, we would go to somebody that you have a hard time with. So Um, sometimes that one, and sometimes the one to ourselves, sometimes the one to the world also can feel a little bit more challenging, um, if we have like complex feelings about that. And so we're not really saying like, like with the world, for instance, that, um, you know, the things that are wrong with the world are okay, or, you know, that, um, people who are causing harm that it's okay and that they should, 
you know, whatever, but (laughs) it's just sort of a broad, like, let's all live in peace. That makes sense. Yeah. Wishing wishing everyone well. Well, and it's, you know, I think for some people that is kind of hard because a lot of people have been beat down by the world, but I think it's important to remember that when you start to give yourself more love, then it's easier to give love to others too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good reminder. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Yeah. I cannot thank you enough for, Absolutely. for being willing to to share your thoughts on, you know, imposter syndrome and mindfulness. It, it's just, it's one of those things. I don't think we can talk about it enough. Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, um, Rebecca, if you could tell everybody where can they find you and follow you? Sure. Yeah. So um, I do have an Instagram. It is um, just my first dash. Sorry, first dot last name. Um, And I assume you'll have the spelling in the podcast. So um, it's Rebecca dot Lassane. My website is Rebecca dash Lassane dot com. And yeah. Awesome. Try to post updates and things like that on both of those. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time and your expertise. It is very, very much appreciated. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Rebecca, thank you so very much for coming on the show and sharing your expertise. It is greatly appreciated. And for anybody who would like to reach out to Rebecca, links are in the show notes to her website. And please, friends, remember... Mental health is important, so take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time. Bye.